Welcome to PE Talks Africa, the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association's podcast. In this series, industry leaders will share their views on the investment landscape in Africa and will discuss latest trends covering fundraising, deal making, value creation and exits across private equity, credit and venture capital. In this ninth episode, Lade Araba, Managing Director for Africa at Convergence Finance, and Marie Cicero, Chief Investment Officer at FSD Africa, and Dan Kranzler, Senior Partner at Capria, examine the role of philanthropy, public and private capital to catalyze greater investment. This panel on blended finance in action is moderated by Enitan Obasanjo Adeleye, Director Head of Research and Training at AFCA. The session was recorded at the 16th Annual AFCA Conference in Nairobi in April 2019. joining us on this session where we'll be spending the next 30 minutes discussing blended finance and its use. I'd like to start by, if you could all please, just give us a little bit more of a background on how you, within your organization, use blended finance and give us a, a definition of what blended finance is to you and how you employ it. And maybe we'll start with um, Laddie, if you could please. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Anita. Um, We are the global network for blended finance, and we basically generate proprietary data, market intelligence, as well as deal flow to increase the level of private financing into emerging and frontier markets. Our definition of blending is really all around financial structuring. So it is distinct from impact investing in the sense that it's not an investment strategy. It does not require a separate allocation. It's really how you leverage concessional financing that could come from both public as well as philanthropic sources, and basically utilize that to de-risk transactions to improve the risk return profile and make them attractive to private investment. So with blended finance, we are trying to achieve leverage. Um, We're also trying to ensure that transactions in emerging and frontier markets are investable. So there should be an attractive risk-adjusted return that is being provided to private investors. And then thirdly, we want to see that these transactions are helping to achieve the sustainable development goals. Great, thank you. And then Marie, how is the lens that FSD Africa um, applying for blended finance different? Okay, thank you very much. Um, Just for those of you who may not know, financial sector deepening Africa is a facility that focuses exclusively on addressing the market failures in the financial system, um, allowing the financial system to allocate capital more efficiently uh, to farms um, as well as households. Um, In the past, we have been using grants um, to address these market failures, which could be at a policy level, regulatory level, lack of information, um, skills, capacity, etc. More recently, we have um, created FSD Africa Investments. Um, And so rather than using grants uh, to address these market failures, we're now using investment capital. So the lens that we're looking at is um, how can we invest with our investment capital 
uh, into the firms, the structures, the funds that are going to um, enable the better enable better allocation of capital to the real economy um, for financial inclusion and also to increase uh, households to basic services. How can we use our concessional investment capital to do that? Uh, we are looking um, to take very high risk um, to invest in some of the companies like we heard this morning, um, which is a FinTech company. Uh, he shared with us that when he first tried to raise capital, nobody believed he could do it. So we're looking for those frontier, cutting edge, uh, firms and structures um, that, that are really trying to change and shape uh, the financial system in, in Africa. Um, and we, we would invest in them because they're high risk, they, their models haven't been tested, um, they're perhaps operating in fragile states um, where there is potentially very difficult access to capital, particularly for SMEs and households. Um, so we will invest to take that risk uh, with our promoters, but also to crowd in uh, commercial capital. So we do that, um, the instruments we use are going to be equity and debt. Um, it could be guarantees, although we haven't done that yet. Um, but we would structure, we have the flexibility of structuring the transaction to address the risk that we're uh, trying to, to remove uh, from testing the business model, um, but also to look at what additionality we bring. So if we're trying to crowd in, for example, pension funds um, into a private equity company, uh, private equity firm uh, fund, um, we would look at you know, how can we structure um, our financing to make the risk a little more uh, palatable for that type of finance because our purpose is to look at how we can improve the efficient allocation of African capital into the real economy. Um, so we are taking high risk. Uh, we're not seeking a high return. We do want to get our capital back. Um, we're trying to create a permanent capital vehicle. So we're, we're taking the high risk. We're not seeking a return to our shareholders, just a modest return. We do hope that the adventure itself would, would achieve a high return. Um, but, but the return that we're looking for is the development impact um, on the financial markets. Um, in addition to, to the, um, the funding that we provide in the form of equity or debt, uh, we work very closely with the other teams in our organization that are dealing with more technical assistance um, and capacity building. Um, we can deploy a certain amount of funding once we do a transaction to address some of those market failures, whether they're regulatory, if we're investing in a tech company, uh, whether it's capacity building skills, et cetera. So, um, so that's the, the kind of blended finance that we do. Thank you. Thank you for that, Anne-Marie. And Daniel, also, you have a somewhat different approach when it comes to blended finance, a slightly different perspective. Could you just uh, share that with us, please? Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the beginning of that perspective is it, we intend to make a solid return on, on our funds. We think it's critical to really provide the kind of financing necessary to make deep, deep change. Uh, and we believe there's over a trillion dollars of financing available. If we can show a model that allows investment in great opportunities with a really solid return. So Capria is a unique fund of funds. We are uh, deep partners 
uh, and we catalyze our funds that we invest in, working with them over a number of years. We have 19 funds in our network uh, globally, six of which are here in Africa. And when we start talking about blended finance, I think some people think well, that's a kind of a formula, but we don't see it that way. Blended finance is simply a set of tools and mechanisms to finance great opportunities that matter. And when you think about that, we often use the analogy of uh, the world thinks if we put money into these opportunities, things will grow. This is the same as putting fuel into the tank of, of a car. But if the car's engine doesn't run or it's missing a wheel, that's not going to help. So blended finance is a set of tools and mechanisms that allow you to start that engine, get it running well, and propel it forward. And what it means is that you may have a sequence of financing that occurs to help early stage startups, startups that are going to market, uh, startups that are now in the market and growing or growing regionally, et cetera. And the key is that one formula doesn't work, and particularly the Silicon Valley model doesn't work. It needs to be very localized. It needs to be specific to the requirements and cultural needs uh, of the market. And the idea of blended finance allows you to put together mechanisms that help reduce risk and at the same time achieve the kind of return that you're seeking. For us, it's a typical market return. Great. Thank you for that. So a lot of what you've all mentioned sounds like things we've heard before. Is it a new name for something that's existed? And do you think it's something that you would consider now to be mainstream blended finance? Do you think the world knows about blended finance and it comes up and it's well understood? And maybe Anne-Marie, if you could start with. Um, I, it's, it's a difficult question. I've, I've been working for a long time um, in the financial sector, um, trying to build financial institutions to serve uh, our economies, uh, our SMEs, and our, our people. Um, and we've been doing it with, with grants, um, and now we're moving to investment capital. And I think that's an important evolution because the market is growing, it is changing. Um, and, and ideally, you don't want to have it to be mainstream because you would hope that markets can, can uh, work itself, themselves out, um, but clearly that's not happening. The problems are huge in Africa. Um, and so uh, I do think there is a, a continued and important role of blended finance, but I do think we need to move away from grants because we are working with the private sector. Um, and, and I think there is a, an, an important a distinction to be made when you're doing grants versus um, doing more, uh, uh, I guess, returnable uh, capital. Um, and so I think we need to evolve with the changes of the market. And, and I think the problems are going to continue to evolve. You know, technology uh, is going to shape the future of, of our markets. Um, and with that comes a lot of risk, uh, of failure. And so I do think um, it's, it's a, an important instrument to use to help Dan in making sure that the car that he's going to put fuel into <laughs> has wheels. Um, so, so yes, I suppose it is, main, it is becoming mainstream, but it's important, but it's important that it continues to evolve so that we're not distorting the market, we're not crowding out um, uh, private capital, um, and that we do uh, ensure that it has a development uh, impact in terms of growth of the financial system. 
And Laddie, I mean, your report, you recently released a report and you did make the assertion that it's now mainstream. Um, how, do you, how so? So our data, which basically looks at you know, global trends with regards to financing that's actually flowing into blended vehicles, shows that there has been a steady growth in the level of investment specifically into blended finance that meets the definition that I uh, mentioned previously. So we've seen that even in the last couple of years, that level of financing has actually doubled to where the global market for blending is around $130 billion. Um, so if you look back to you know, the early 1990s, it was just a few million. Now we're into the billion. So, and, I, and we expect this trajectory to continue. We have also seen from the data that around 44% of all of the deals are actually happening in Sub-Saharan Africa, although tickets are much smaller in this region. In terms of the sectors that have a lot of activity, we find that energy and climate finance, as well as financial services, half of which um, is particularly targeting microfinance, are receiving the most um, levels of financing uh, through, through blending. So obviously we do see that this market is growing, there is this upward trajectory, but we still think that you know, we need to scale significantly because when you're talking about uh, the sustainable development goals and just even the market opportunity that they represent, you're speaking in the trillions of dollars, but in blending, you know, we're still seeing um, you know, financing in the billions. How we're going to get from the billions to trillions is really through the leverage. And you know, to, to respond to a point that was made by Anne-Marie, absolutely, we want to be sure that we are not distorting markets. Um, and over time, what we would like to see is decreasing levels of concessionality within individual structures, whether it's at the fund level or even um, at the project level. Thank you. And, and Daniel, do you think it's mainstream? Do you think it should ever be mainstream? And how do you see it evolving? Uh, I, I think it is mainstream, and it's, it's going to continue to be. I, I think one of the things that uh, we're doing is we're funding entrepreneurship. And the best way to fund entrepreneurship is to be entrepreneurial. To be entrepreneurial, you need to be a good listener, and you need to address the specific needs of the market as they exist today. So they, they're different than yesterday. They'll be different tomorrow. So when we look at funding uh, here in Africa and we are trying to build businesses, we're needing to give them support in getting the pieces of the car in place, to have all the elements necessary to be able to be successful, to grow regionally in, in the different markets, et cetera. So uh, we can use the traditional process and say, look, we're going to do the traditional PE and we're going to come in and we're going to buy a big chunk of you and we're going to kick out your management and bring in some people from somewhere else to run it. Or we can say, look, we're going to help you build that structure of your own business. We're going to help you manage your own business. We're going to give you mechanisms, which may be some uh, funding to help you in your systems and your accounting and, and your processes. It may be a uh, cash flow loan, uh, maybe cash flow loan with an equity kicker. That's blended finance to me. It's, it's a set of mechanisms that meet the requirements of the investment community for return, risk adjustment, and the people that we're, that we're funding, who aren't people we're funding, they're, our, they're customers. Our customers are the people we provide money to. And, and if we partner with them, we listen to them, then blended finance is a constantly evolving mechanism that meets their specific needs as that 
set of needs change over time. Great, thank you for that. So I'm going to ask one more question, then I'm going to pause to allow questions from the floor to ensure that we have sufficient time to accommodate um, the, the um, delegate to ask questions. So, um, so you've all been playing in this bit or using blended finance for a while now. Who are the key players? Um, and I mean in terms of both the recipient of blended finance and the suppliers of blended finance. Where are they playing in the capital structure? And who would you like to see more um, involvement from in, or get more involvement from in, within the blended finance space? And Daniel, if you'd like to start, please. Well, uh, the, the Capria funds are specifically focused in earlier stage funding, what we call the missing middle. So uh, when you think about startups or even accelerated businesses, or you think about PE, those are very specific areas that have a, a, a funding mechanism. We believe that in order to feed that PE system, we really need to build those early stage businesses, and that's a really hard thing to do. So the SME and uh, startup realm requires uh, funding to get them on their feet, to get that engine running well, and then it's to provide growth capital. And growth capital needs to be tied to very specific milestones, and it needs to be set an expectation. So when you give a grant for, to, to begin a business, the question is, do people think of it and take it for granted? Are they saying, well, yes, I, this is something for me to play with, or this is really my business? And so by using financing as a mechanism to specifically support milestones and achievements and advancements in business, it's a really powerful tool. And so we focus in that particular area. And Larry? Um, so again, you know, if I look at the data that we have collected um, over the last few years, um, what it's telling us is there's been a lot of activity uh, from pretty much all the players, but we would like to see more institutional capital coming into these transactions. So when you think about the various archetypes um, of blending, whether it's a first loss layer uh, protection, technical assistance, credit enhancement through guarantees or other insurance products, or even grants, as Dan mentioned in the early stages, you know, we see a lot of activity from donor agencies, um, the DFIs have been quite active, uh, commercial banks have also played uh, a very important role, especially uh, in infrastructure financing and specifically within uh, the power sector. Uh, we've seen a level of activity from foundations like Rockefeller that is moving away from you know, just traditional grants where they've created the Zero Gap Initiative to fund um, early stage risky transactions, but we've also seen them take junior equity positions in structures as well. So this is really important, but who's missing right now is the pension funds, the insurance companies, uh, private equity is also starting to use blending, but there's certainly um, a, lot, a lot more room for them to get involved. So I think that this is where we really need to focus on the leverage um, and how concessional capital can be utilized to crowd them in. And the most important thing to remember is that each of these various um, investor segments operates with different um, you know, return expectations. They have differing mandates. They also have unique regulatory constraints mm -hmm. that you know, limit their ability to do certain things. So as we are designing projects, companies, funds, facilities, notes, bonds, impact bonds, whatever they are, we do need to factor this in to ensure that we are structuring 
um, deals that ultimately are investable and attractive to these additional players. And you don't expect them to come in at the first loss. We're in the tranche where would, they wouldn't be the recipients of the blood and finance. So they, they, where are they playing? Where do you, would you want to see them playing so, in that structure? So they're, they're commercial. So they want to see you know, operating assets that are generating positive cash flows. They want to see companies that are EBITDA positive. So they would not be coming in at that early um, stage, which is quite risky. So you do need you know, that risk, risk capital up front. And that's really where the concessional financing public and private, uh, or philanthropic rather, um, is, is really crucial to be able to catalyze um, these transactions to investability and bankability. So let me throw out a challenge, because I, I think this is really important. Again, putting more and more fuel in a tank that's not running well doesn't make sense. And if you say, look, I want institutional investors to come in, I want pension funds to come into the marketplace, They'll be glad to wait until you figure it all out and you spend a whole bunch of money and you see which engine runs and they can put money in the engine. Or you can create a model that says, look, we know how to, to use this blended finance and the tools and mechanisms to build really solid growth businesses where they can come in earlier because they know there's a model that gets to achievement rather than waiting to see which one happens to get to the point where they have enough cash flow that they put the money in. Because that's a little too late and it's not providing the kind of early growth capital that really is going to generate a huge nexus and change in the marketplace. I would disagree with that. Uh, and the reason yeah, I would, and the, and the reason I would disagree with that is quite simple. You know, as I mentioned, each different investor operates with different constraints, mandates, and so on. So when you look specifically at pension funds, they have a fiduciary responsibility. Um, you know, these are people's pensions. So they can't be as, um, you know, uh, risk, or they need, they need to factor in, you know, a healthy risk appetite, but also not take um, undue risks in their investments, whereas, you know, when you look at private equity um, and even investment banks, um, other types of asset managers, they probably have a little more leeway because they don't have um, that fiduciary responsibility. So I think that, you know, the beauty of blended finance is you're bringing together various types of capital providers without necessarily trying to change their investment mandates and objectives, and also understanding the constraints within which they operate. And so whoever is best suited to absorb those early stage risks should really be the player who is coming in at that stage and basically making it easier for the more risk averse to participate. Okay. So, Daniel, I see that you're keen to respond, <laughs> but I'm going to see if we can build a, we can't build a consensus of views, but maybe we can have a majority of you. So I'll allow Anne-Marie to speak. Well, I'm just, I'm just going to build on the conversation to say, you know, who else do we need in this market? And, and just building on uh, what Ladi has said, and, and also what Dan has said, is that we at FSD African Investments are looking for the, the people, the promoters, the firms that are, that are going to provide the platforms that Ladi is talking about. Uh, who are creative enough, who understand how to uh, structure um, a fund uh, where they can generate those cash flows to make it um, uh, more pal palatable for pension funds to go in. So we're looking to find those types of forward-thinking um, uh, intermediaries, promoters, firms. We come in and take some of the risks so that they can actually attract 
those pension funds into those structures. But we need to have the fund managers, uh, the promoters, the businesses coming up with those, with those ideas, and, and we back those, and at the same time try to crowd in. And I think it's important to have that leverage, and we've had, uh, we invested in the Africa Local Currency Bond Facility, and I see Clements is over there um, from Lion's Head uh, Global Fund, who's the fund manager. And what we're doing there is we're actually trying to promote um, or support local capital markets, so to help corporates and to, to raise funds on local currency bonds, through local currency bonds, um, by um, giving them technical assistance, but also um, by helping them through that process and taking up part of the, the issue. So we need, to, we need you, know, you guys in the room to come up with these, these structures um, that we can actually invest in and crowd in the other capital. Right. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution, yeah. but that will allow you to, to so, respond. So, yeah, there aren't a lot of advantages to being old, but there are a couple. One of those is that you, you've gone through an experienced history, and I actually remember being in a room similar to this in Silicon Valley you know, 30, 35 years ago with almost exactly the same conversation. There were a bunch of pension uh, funds in the room, and they said, you guys want us to put money into venture capital. We can't do that. We have a fiduciary responsibility to the people in our pension fund. And venture, by nature, is risky capital. So you guys do early stage stuff. And once that's running, we'll fund the companies later on. Today, more than 40% of all venture capital is from pension funds. And it's because venture capital created a model that they could understand, that was articulated, that they could look at clearly and statistically, and they could follow, and they could say, based on my risk profile and my blended uh, portfolio, uh, venture capital is a very important place to be. And I believe that same thing will evolve in this space. But you know, history is no necessary predictor of the future. Thank you. And on that note, I see we're running out of time, unfortunately. I would love to allow time for questions from the floor, but I will urge you to please find our panelists and address the questions to them in the upcoming networking session. Thank you very much to our panelists, and thank you for um, joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, please visit AVCA hyphen africa dot org